Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to day 11 of the Eurocopa podcast sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. In order to review today's two games, I am joined by Robert Hay, Sam Kelly, and making his podcast debut, Roberto Rojas. Roberto, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course, uh, with uh, great pleasure. I am a uh, writer for Vavil. I have been uh, writing for them for about a year or two and uh, have been uh, credentialed for the Copa America Centenarian, which I've been to two games so far. I've been to Paraguay, Costa Rica, and Orlando, and Paraguay, Colombia yesterday at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, but also more importantly, and I know Nipun and Sam have known about this, I'm also the co-host and have been for the last year or so of Logan the Football. Yeah, definitely a good podcast. I recommend everyone check that out. Um, it's uh, You guys record Monday nights, is that right? That is correct. Right, Monday nights. Yep, good podcast. So thanks for joining us, Roberto. So since we have two Roberts tonight, I'll be referring to them as Hay and Rojas uh, <laughs> to minimize confusion. So um, all right, guys. Sam, I'll start with you. Let's start with the Brazil-Haiti game. Once that first goal went in for Coutinho, uh, this game was as good as over, wasn't it? I think that, I mean, I always like to stick up for the underdog in international football, but I think you might be being a bit generous to Haiti by saying that it was uh, that it took that long for the game to be as good as over. Um, as soon as the kickoff happened, it was over. <laughs> I mean, you know, as as soon as the draw happened, really, you know exactly what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, right. th- th- there's only one way that's going to go. You're talking about the, quite famously, the poorest country um, in the Western Hemisphere against probably, in footballing terms at least, the richest country um, in, in, well, the world probably, uh, at least in terms of the history, if not the uh, current situation yeah. of Brazilian football. Um, and... It was always going to be a case of damage limitation for Haiti to see whether they could take any kind of pride from the game. Um, I hope I'm not sounding too patronising in case we have any any Haitian listeners. Um, I was delighted for them that that they they managed to score. Um, It's taken 45 years and three matches, but they've managed to get their first ever goal against Brazil. Um, And I think that one, I mean... (laughs) Certainly from the ambient noise on the TV, it seemed like that got more of a reaction yeah. than any except for Brazil goals. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in a way, uh, I think everybody was a winner, really. Robert Hay, we have to talk about Hay for one second. And uh, for me, Paison was probably the big positive for them. He, he definitely looks like a player that uh, can make 
it to the next level. And, and if Haiti need to continue on this upward trajectory of their national team, he'll probably be uh, one of the highlights of that. Yeah, agreed that he had you know, a pretty decent match overall. Uh, it, it's just tough with a team like Haiti. You know, you're talking about having uh, players, for example, who aren't allowed to leave the United States to play <laughs> matches mm-hmm. anywhere else right. in the world. And, you know, the economic situation and things like that. So it, it's an uphill slog for Haiti. Um, getting that goal was a, a positive they can take away to build upon. But um, you could tell with this team, you know, early in the second half, it, there was just, uh, they kind of gave up and understandably so uh, with the play going on. But um, again, some positives you can take. They have another match where they can continue to build off of this. Um, and if they can do some good things in their final match of the group stage, then, um, you know, it, it, it'll hopefully build for a little bit more positive results in the future. Rojas, the thing with Brazil is that we saw a pretty poor performance from them in the in the first game. Uh, William aside in the first game, I think uh, most of the players struggled. But in this game, pretty much it looked like the old school Brazil. Uh, obviously, Haiti isn't a very strong team, but some of the interplay, some of the passing, some of the movement, and of course, two out of three of Coutinho's girl goals were top draw. Yeah, absolutely, and it's rightly deserved. And you know, the the, goal, the first goal was an absolute screamer. Then the second one, and then obviously the third one from Coutinho definitely served them well. But also, I'm quite um, happy to see someone like Gabriel Barbosa, who made his uh, competitive debut and his um, his goal as well for the Brazilian national team. So that that's going to build up a lot of experience as well. So. While it was Haiti, I think you could serve that this is probably the, um, I guess, more of a cool-off uh, after the uh, first game that ended in a drug at that quarter where, honestly, if that gold was allowed, they should have lost it there and there, and they played absolutely poor. But now everything's going to show up against the um, against Peru and, and Boston on Saturday. Yeah, it's an interesting position, Sam, that this group is in. Uh, with with uh, the next game that we discuss, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more but let's let's talk about a little bit uh, more about this Brazil team from a perspective of someone living in Argentina, uh, a country that you know is really there has been their historic rival in South America in terms of uh, world standing in this game. What is the perception of this Brazil team, this this tattered Brazil team that is full of uh, apparent substitutes? What's what's the perception of this team? Well, they're tremendously enjoying watching them, obviously. Um, <laughs> particularly at a point where Argentine football is, at least at national team level, uh, in something of an ascendancy at the moment. Um, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun for Argentines to watch the Brazilians struggle. Uh, the classic example being the last time that a Brazil game, um, the last time before today that a Brazil tournament match ended 7-1, <laughs> which happened the night before Argentine Independence Day, um, which meant that it was absolutely impossible, and I testify to this myself, uh, to get served in any bars in central Buenos Aires that night. Um, They were all absolutely round, and some of it was because the following day was a bank holiday, and some of it was because of the fact that uh, Brazil had just lost 7-1 and everybody was very merry indeed. Um, People here celebrate, and and I've seen this, I, I saw it, in 2014, uh, after the 7-1, I also saw it in 2010, um, after after Brazil went out of the World Cup the day before Argentina went out of the World Cup in 2010. Um, they celebrate Brazil's elimination almost as much, in, in, in a way, as they celebrate Argentina's progression. Um, I mean, you literally hear people 
driving down the road, beeping their horns in celebration when, when Brazil go out of the World Cup or out of the Copa America. Um, the rivalry is, is still very intensely felt. And um, and, and, and so they're, they're enjoying watching Brazil squirm, let's say, even though obviously the majority of Argentina fans are perhaps a little less um, completely up to date with how the, the, the Seleção uh, uh, are doing. Yeah, it's. I, I'm always curious about that. The the perception of those two teams in the in the opposite opposing country. Um, in some ways, it's almost similar to the rival. No, it's I guess greater than the most uh, avid rivalries at the club level, isn't it? Because uh, you have so much passion behind these two teams, and when one is doing well and the other isn't, uh, fans tend to celebrate that fact. So that makes. I, it I think it's. I think it's greater in a way, and and lesser in another. Um, it's it's obviously it, it's not every day, um, and for that reason, I and also although there are Brazilians living in Argentina, particularly here in Buenos Aires, and, and there are Argentines living in Brazil, it's not a matter of like say with with River Plate and Boca Juniors, where if you support one of the teams, you'll almost definitely work with or have a relative or possibly be married to somebody or have a good friend who supports the other team and therefore have to get it in the neck every single time if, if you right. lose. And I think that results in a way in, in, a, in a healthier rivalry. Um, obviously, some of the, the things that have happened in River Boca, particularly in the last couple of years and most famously or infamously um, during the Copa Libertadores last year with, with the acid attack in, in La Bombonera on River's players, um, have served to sort of hype that rivalry up to, to ridiculous degrees. And I think it's become quite unhealthy as a result. It, it could do with maybe cooling down a bit. Argentina-Brazil is a very intense rivalry. Um, but because of the fact it happens less frequently, because of the fact that it's not like everybody here knows loads of Brazilian people and are always constantly you know, in each other's faces about it, um, there's a bit more distance between them. I, I think it's a little bit healthier. Robert, the... Let's talk about the, what was one of the most exciting games of the tournament now, which was the draw between Ecuador and Peru. Uh, when we did the previews, I think all of us, Chris, myself, uh, all of us kind of agreed that Ecuador were firm favorites and would probably pull this off uh, and go through. Uh, as it turned out, Peru took a very quick lead, two goals in the first 15 minutes. And explain to me how that sort of took place. Yeah, I think when you look at the match holistically, it's probably not a terrible surprise that even though you know, Ecuador is the more highly regarded team, that Peru would come out and, and uh, come out firing. I mean, they're playing Brazil next, um, right. so points you know are essential in this match. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they saw a matchup, a couple of matchups they could exploit. Um, you know, Ecuador came out pressing, and, and Peru was able to get some quick hits off the counter uh, and score goals early. But in this match, unlike what you see, I think a lot of times in tournaments like like this um both teams neither team wanted to stop <laughs> uh you know ecuador immediately made some adjustments tactically uh which resulted of course in a, a goal right before halftime and then the, the equalizer and then it, both teams kept throwing on uh, attacking players both teams were trying to go for that third and fourth goal um which made for a very entertaining match so um in the end i, I think the preview was right that ecuador was the more talented team on the pitch, but I think Peru took advantage of a matchup problem early on and allowed themselves uh, to get a couple of goals that, uh, you know, kept them in this match and got a point out of it. Yeah. Uh, Rojas, the one player that we have to highlight, 
especially for the first 20, 25 minutes, was Christian Koiva was terrific. And and uh, his first goal was something special. It actually had a, a ring of the of that iconic Dennis Bergkamp goal for Arsenal to me. Uh, in some ways, it looked very similar. So uh, t- talk to me about this player. What, what do you know about him? What have you seen him do that that struck out to you? Yeah, well, as you said, uh, Christian Cueva, he's someone that has been widely regarded, uh, not only in the... Um, on the national team, but also on club level, he was playing at the uh, Alianza Lima before the uh, Copa America, and then after the third place finish, in which he did spectacular, uh, he ended up scoring against Brazil that ended in a two-one loss uh, last year. But the the performance ended gave him a move to uh, Toluca, and during that performance, he did well. And right just before the Copa America, he's now going to be playing for São Paulo, who are in the semifinals of the Copa Libertadores. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does and. Likely said, he is a, a ta- talented player, you know, 24 years old, part of this new generation of Peruvian players who, honestly, when I saw this matchup and I thought to myself when the squads were announced, I thought that Peru would re- have it really, really hard to um, try to beat one of the top teams in Ecuador and Brazil, given that they were having an experimental side. It wasn't really the strongest team, you know, no players like Jefferson Farfan, Claro Pizarro, Carlos Zamorano, and other players like that, so... You have to give when, you have to give credit when credit is deserved, and they deserve that point for uh, against uh, a strong Ecuador side, one of the strongest Ecuador sides I've seen um, in this tournament. So it's going to be um, everything's going to go down to the last game to see if they could possibly win their group over the um, over the five time world champions. Yeah, Sam, a player that would be crucial to that is Noboa, uh, a player we talked about in the preview. So. What did you think about Novoa? I thought once he got on the ball and started to control proceedings, especially in, for the for, let's say, from the 45th minute to the 75th, 80th minute, I thought he was the best player on the pitch during that time. Yeah, I think that's hard to, to disagree with, really. Um, Ecuador started very slowly, as, as, as Roberto says, and, and Peru took full advantage of that. But when Ecuador sort of finally managed to collectively get their feet on the ball and, and sort of go, right, you know, we, we've got to get our heads in the game here. We have to get some kind of, of foothold. Um, he was absolutely key to that. He, the, the the way that he operates in the middle of, of, of the pitch um, really caused the, the, the transformation. Um, I mean, from, what would you say, about the last 15, 10 to 15 minutes of the first half and, and then the first right. 10 10-ish of the second half, um, it was like watching a completely different Ecuador team from, from the team who played in those first 20-25 minutes. Um, and and Navarro was absolutely key to that. I mean, he's, he's, he's a talented player. He, I, I think, is a little bit sort of... Uh, he has some games that are much better than others. He, he lacks a little bit of consistency. And bear in mind that I've only really seen him from the national team, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, today was, was definitely one of those better games. Robert, this group is very delicately poised, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, do you think Peru can do it against uh, Brazil? Because that would be an incredible result. And if even if they were to get a draw, um, if, well, let's let's play this out. If they get a draw and Ecuador wins, they have the same number of points. It goes to goal difference. Is, is that right? Am I calculating that correctly? It certainly sounds right. Um, yeah, because Brazil is five points right now, and I think both. No, that's not right. Four points. Brazil. Someone help me out here. They both have four points. Brazil and Peru. They but, both have four. But points. Brazil has the goal difference by five mm-hmm. because of yeah, the goals they scored. They, 
smashed six goals, uh, six plus six goals today. Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting situation. So uh, can can you see any way by which uh, Peru can get a result against Brazil and uh, send Ecuador out? Yeah, I think there's an emotional component to this this match, which will be interesting to watch. I mean. Brazil is the certainly be the favorites going into this, and um, I think even though they they smashed Haiti today, there's still a lot of questions about this Brazilian team and some of the players. Uh, you know, keeping in mind, of course, that some of the best players were kept behind for the Olympics. There's still some questions about, um, you know, how good some of these players are. The the key players on this Copa America team. Peru's playing with house money. Uh, I think that if I were, were them and their coaching staff, I'd sit there and just play without any pressure. I mean, they were smart enough to come out and take advantage of Ecuador early on in this match today. Um, you know, if they can come up with a game plan to, to take advantage of you know, a Brazil team that I thought, honestly, in the first half, even though they um, put past uh, you know three goals past Haiti, I think they still looked very disjointed at times uh, with their passing and uh, finding the open man. So if they can, ex- if Peru can exploit that early on and maybe grab a goal or two like they did tonight, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on this Brazilian team. And whether they can handle that pressure or whether there will will be uh, very interesting to see. So I think there's a definite chance. Rojas, uh, one more thing about the Ecuador-Peru game. I, I think if um, with Ecuador, because they have an, a tricky game now coming up too where they have to get that win, right, uh, on, on Sunday... So one of the things I noticed that um, they were able to really exploit the wings, especially when, once Valencia went to right back, uh, a lot of overlapping runs. But at the end, of the end of the day, a lot of those crosses were not connecting. So they're in a, they're in a strange place tactically where they have uh, lots of room down the wings. But at the same time, they don't have anyone taking advantage of those crosses coming in. Yeah, absolutely, and some and those that's going to be a huge factor against a, a Haiti side who are looking to basically, I guess, um, looking to end the uh, the tournament, which it's a sad thing to see, honestly, for such a good Haiti side. What I saw in the Gold Cup that ended up playing fantastically well, even making it to the uh, to the quarterfinals. I think that uh, I think that if they can get something out of this game and try to take advantage of the, um, as you mentioned, the. The the uh, the fault on the wings of Montero and Valencia, then I wouldn't be surprised if Haiti gets even a draw in this one. But as you said, Ecuador are definitely going to have to take advantage of the strikers. Going to have to also take advantage of the loss of Gabriel uh, Akier, who won't be playing in that game. So it's going to be um it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see who's with um, Arturo Mina in the back. So yeah, it's, it's I, you should go for Ecuador in this one. But then again, it's going to be a really tough test against Haiti. And they definitely need a lot of goals in this one, depending on what happens against Brazil and Peru. Mm-hmm. Sam, let's go to previews now. The first game we'll preview is Uruguay versus Venezuela. Uh, I'm not sure. I've been reading conflicting reports about Suarez's availability. Um, have you heard anything since since we uh, started recording? Or maybe I actually didn't follow anything through the game either. So do we know if Suarez is available for the Uruguay game? Um, I don't, but then I haven't been paying very much attention today, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, uh, so... Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm the same way. The, the last report I read was that he was still... Uh, they were making a game day decision, so we'll know tomorrow. Point being that... Um, just, sorry, I've just uh, I've had a quick look on Twitter, and there are a couple of Uruguayan um, news sites and radio stations saying that he was training... To, he Or he is training today. Um, 
with the squad that he's, he's back in full training. So, you know, maybe um, they're going to do what uh, Mr. Peckerman did with, with Hamis uh, Rodriguez yesterday and keep everybody guessing right up until the last minute. Right. Makes sense. And as far as it's playing, I mean, this I think the game changes a little bit because even though we've been celebrating Cavani, and we should, he's, he's a terrific player, I, th- I don't think he's been nearly at that level, right? So... Uh, if at this point, assuming Suarez is back in, it makes Uruguay firm, firm favourites. Yeah, I mean, Cavani's never really um, matched his club form for, for the national team for whatever reason. That That's no particular criticism of him from um, from me. It's just it, it's not happened for him for Uruguay to the same extent, which isn't to say that he's never looked any good for Uruguay, but he, he's never looked... Um, the same sort of astonishing level of player um, that he is for his club, for, for the national team, for whatever reason. Um, and I have to hold my hands up here because uh, on my first appearance on this podcast, I said that Uruguay's attack was not all about Luis Suarez, that they had a very big threat from set pieces as well. Sure enough, they did score from one against Mexico. Yeah. Um, but we saw the difference that uh, the lack of Luis Suarez made for them I think more than anything, when Diego Roland missed that absolute sitter, sitter um, yeah. with, if I remember rightly, the score was 2-1 to Mexico at the time, so it would have made it 2-2 um, at the end of a fine move set up by Mr. Godin. Cavani. Um, oh, I thought it was, wasn't it that oh, Godin sorry, you're right. Run? Yeah, sorry, it was, it was Godin's running, and yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was Cavani's pass into him, I might be mistaken. But the point is, anyway, that I, I suspect, obviously, if Suarez is, is on the pitch, then he's on the pitch in the place of Roland. Um, and there's no way that Suarez misses that. Yeah. I mean, it might happen now and then because it's football, but uh, you would back him to, to bury that in in in, um, in place of, of missing it. So to an extent, uh, I might have been proved right when Uruguay scored from a, a set piece, but to another extent, I was proved wrong about it because their attack looked otherwise fairly toothless <laughs> without Suarez uh, pulling people out of position and bringing his teammates into play and whatnot. Um, obviously, if he's back, it's going to make a huge difference in terms of just the jump of quality that Uruguay get from that focal point up front in in, in place of Roland. Yeah, and Robert, it, it feels like these two uh, the teams in this group are reliant on their captains in defensive positions more so than any team. You you have Godin, you have uh, for Mexico, you have Marquez for Jamaica, you have West Morgan and. Godin will play a huge, huge role in this Venezuela game, I think, especially if Suarez is missing, because as we saw in that game, he was a driving force, he scored a goal, and the team really does rally around him. Yeah, as we discussed in the, the aftermath of that game, um, I mean, he was the he was the positive for Uruguay, he was scoring the goal and, and uh, creating some opportunities, but he was also the negative uh, as being one of the, the most emotional guys on the pitch in a game where Uruguay came unraveled. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, and as a fan of Italy, I have, have to point out the fact that sometimes Luis Suarez, as talented as he is, isn't the most emotionally <clears throat> um, stable guy on the pitch. But uh, but that being aside, no, I, I agree. I think that um, how the Uruguay midfield kind of dictates the tempo of this game, both the physical nature and the tactical nature, will go a long way towards um, creating those chances that we just talked about. And I think that there's enough talent there that – um, that will happen, um, but the, this team is going to have to keep its head a little bit. If I were, um, or Venezuela, I'd be trying to get in their head as much as possible just to see if we can get a repeat of Mexico. But I don't think I see that happening. Uh, Rojas, the the one thing that 
I think uh, we should, I, I guess we should move ahead and talk about the Mexico-Jamaica game. Uh, there will be no Guardado. Not only was he, not only does he have a red card, uh, we learned today that he's also injured. So uh, he will be missing. And he's a big miss, as I've said on this podcast many before, many times before. He, he, to me, he's the most underrated midfielder in Europe playing for PSV. Uh, and he was involved as he had that assist for the own goal. So um, he'll be a big miss. And a lot of players that didn't step up in the last game, in particular Chicharito, will be looking to step up in this one. Absolutely. And I think that the big loss of Andres Guardado is going to really affect Mexico in this one, especially against a tough opponent like Jamaica, who really have uh, some history between each other, you know, played in the Gold Cup final last year. Right. And it's um and a, and a traditional CONCACAF rival. So... Like you said, I think Chicharito Hernandez has to be the player to step up uh, after failing to not score in the game against Uruguay. Uh, goals coming from a uh, Rafael Marquez in the 85th minute and Hector Herrera in the in injury time. So I think that the only man that's going to have to step up and try to score the goals in this one has to be Chicharito, given his form at Bayer Leverkusen. He's looking to do the same and uh, for the national team and as a leader in the um, in the uh, as, in the striking and the strikers. Sam, uh, as a fellow Man United supporter, we, we appreciate Chicharito Hernandez. But what I was thinking about today, with Wes Morgan almost certain to start again uh, in this game after the debacle that was the, the first game, um, wh- wh- when I think back to Chicharito, the, the times he's struggled the most is against muscular defenders like Wes Morgan. So in that sense, it's the perfect matchup for from a Jamaica perspective because here you have one of the best goal poachers in the world, but you also have an informed defender and the kind of defender that Chicharito struggles against. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's going to be a, a, an interesting um, individual rivalry to watch precisely because having started in... in no, fairly good form in his opening game. I know he didn't score, but he right. he didn't play too badly by any means. Um, and, and with such a, a good team performance all round, uh, it, it's going to be a question of, of whether Hernandez can um, overcome some of those demons, if you like, um, if, if you want to sort of paint it that, uh, that way. I'm given that... Um, God, his name's just gone out of my head. This is what you get when you drink a couple of glasses of wine whilst recording. Given that Wes Morgan <laughs> um, is is in is coming off such an impressive season, he's had yeah. a like it's a little bit of an enforced rest by the fact that he wasn't able to start. Um, you, you think he's going to be relatively fresh, um, but it's going to be a very interesting duel to to watch. I'm not going to be brave enough to pick an individual victor from the Javier Hernandez versus Wes Morgan um, battle. But it's going to be one that I think everybody needs to keep a close eye on, I would agree. Robert, do you have a score prediction for this game? Yeah, I think this is going to be a close game. Um, I, I think that uh, informed West Morgan, not suspended West Morgan, is going to make a difference here. But I do think Mexico's talent's uh, too good, and they have their eye on the prize. I'm going to say 2-1 Mexico, but it's going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit of a sweat causer for Mexico fans. Rojas? I think I'm going to seem the same score as well, 2-1 to Mexico. I think that if they score early, and I think if they could uh, hold on to the pressure that Jamaica has been um, attributing in the whole 90 minutes and try to hold off their um, their lead, that it will be um, it'll be all easy easy for um, the Mexicans, and I think that they, um, they'll get a comfortable three points. Sam? 
Well, you guys are all far more um, familiar with the CONCACAF national sides than I am, so I'm going to agree. I'll go for, uh, uh, let's say, 2-1 to Mexico, and if I'm wrong, I can blame it on you. <laughs> I'm actually I'm going to go for a draw with this one. Uh, and In fact, it, there's a part of me that wonders if Jamaica might edge it because of the speed that they have. And I have just this gut feeling that we're about to see an upset, uh, which would suck because I love watching this Mexico team. Um, but it'll be okay, you know, because they beat Uruguay and they'll still go through. All right, gentlemen, we will wrap up here. So tomorrow, Robert, Roberto Rojas and I will be joined by Juan Orango and Kartik as we review those two games we just mentioned and preview the second round of games in Group D, as well as the kickoff game in the European Championships. Join us for that by clicking on the iTunes subscribe button or whichever medium you use to listen to your podcast. You can also tweet us at WSoccerTalk or using hashtag EuroCopaPod. Until then, on behalf of Robert Hay, Roberto Rojas, Sam Kelly, and myself, Nipun Chopra, I bid you to enjoy your football.